This episode is brought to you by the Young Farmer Business Program, an initiative of the New South Wales Department of Primary Industries. To help you get the skills you need for the office, not the paddock, visit youngfarmer.nsw.gov.au. I guess my advice would be like, don't stress if you don't know which direction you're heading in. Um, so I just think, you know, there's probably no straight lines in life. You've sometimes just got to ride the wave. And, and I think by doing that, you know, your purpose, if you think of it like that, will will follow. Welcome to the Future Farmers Network's Mentor of the Month podcast. I'm Sam Noon, and that was Katie Turner you just heard, an old friend and incredibly accomplished and capable young woman who recently turned 30. We caught up over the Easter break and she shared stories with me about her passion for agriculture and her experiences that have shaped who she is today. Katie has a diverse working career. From her early days growing up out at Quilpie on a 230,000 acre cattle and sheep property, which she later managed on her own, to learning to fly her father's light aircraft, doing a stint up north at Carlton Hill for CPC, and pursuing a career in agribusiness banking and finance, all the while balancing city life and her love for the outback. This is a beautifully honest and raw conversation, which I'm excited to share with you. Katie's resilience and can-do attitude has been a great foundation to her success, which she's very humble about and takes life as it comes. I hope you enjoy. Katie Turner, it's so good to have you on the Mentor of the Month podcast for Future Farmer Network. Welcome. Thanks for having me, Sam. So tell us a little bit about where you grew up in southwest Queensland. How has this shaped your career so far? And what did you love most about your childhood? Yeah, so I grew up uh, on a cattle station, sheep and cattle, actually, when I was a kid, um, about a thousand kilometres due west of Brisbane, um, about a hundred kilometres north of Quilpie. Um, it was a bit over 230,000 acres, so I had plenty of space growing up as a child. Um, I just remember, you know, mum was teaching us we did school of the air like so many of the kids did out there and you know basically getting up early in the morning with with all the jackaroos and and um trying to beat mum out of out into the into the schoolhouse so that we could steal her home tutor guide and copy all the answers so we could get, get to work sooner um when I was in grade six uh I went off to Toowoomba prep uh for boarding school and uh in my high school years went to Brisbane to St Margaret's um and where I um, met you. <laughs> yes. And um, yeah, I mean, I guess growing up on the land, like it's really shaped in the industry that I, I work in now and what I'm passionate about. I've spent a couple of years working up in the Kimberley and through the Territory and out in the Channel Country as well for CPC when I left school. And I guess didn't really know what I was going to do after that. So I went off to uni and um, here I am um, a few years later and still working in ag and yeah, I love it. It's great. So... Katie, you've done so much. Can you give us a little bit about some of the diversity of roles you've had and take us back, tell us a little bit about your studies, some of those roles you've had and the highs and lows and, you know, what you've learnt from these unique experiences? Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, I don't really know if it's a positive to have worked in such diverse places, but I think, you know, Dad always used to say to me when I was toing and froing, like, life's not necessarily about what you know, finding out what you want to do. Sometimes, you know, you just got to find out what you don't want to do. And it's 
it's probably really the approach that I've ended up taking. I've done a few different things and, and, and worked out that it's not where I want to be. Um, I, you know, I try to remember once, probably one of my bigger ones was I decided I was going to be a hotshot banker, uh, in London. So (laughs) I was living in Roma at the time and quit my job with Rabobank and off I went over to London and, um, it was just so miserable and grey and I sat every single day on a tube on my way to work and I think I lasted three months before I ended up packing up and I just went travelling around Portugal and Spain for a few months and then I came home. So So what did you do when you came back to Australia? Yeah, so I was, um, you know, they're so lucky as bush kids, you know, you've always got a home to go to and you've always got this job that, you know, your parents always need help. So it was, you know, whenever you were sort of in a bit of a tight spot, called dad up and see what was happening and you know of course there was there was some work out at at Coolpie for me and uh my mum ran into my um old boss at Eka and um he was just asking what I was up to and she said oh nothing too much she's just come back from overseas and trying to repay her father and I for the plane fare that we had to buy for her and um and he just said, oh, there's a contract going in, in Rabobank in, in Gundawindi. Do you want to do that for 12 months? And I said, oh, it's 12 months too big of a commitment. I can't do that. I'll do three months. And I think I did like four three-month contracts. So I was there for 12 months or over a year or something. And what was that like? Working for Rabobank. Yeah, it was, it was great. I loved it. Um, you know, I got to work in Roma and, and Gundawindi and it's really interesting, I think. Like it's it's really changed my later later years I went home and um helped dad manage our, our station out at Quilpie um for a couple of years and having had sat on the other side of the desk uh as a banker certainly has um has changed how I how I operate and present information probably as a, as a producer so that was great made some great friends there um great connections and yeah no it was, it was brilliant so drawing upon some of those skills that you've learned from both sides, can you tell us a little bit about your current role? Um, you're working for AAM Investment Group in Brisbane. You've been doing that for over a year now um, as Operations Performance Manager. Tell us tell us a bit about the job. What do you love most about the work you're doing? Yeah, so it's a bit weird how I ended up there, actually. I'd been working out at Quilpie for a couple of years and um, we sold our place while I was out there and... I ended up, uh, you know, my dad was pretty unwell at the time and I'd sort of, he'd been going through all of this when I was at West and, you know, you sort of just end up missing quite a lot. And um, I just decided that when we sold there, I really wanted to sort of be a little bit closer to the to the family action. And so I made the decision I was going to move to, to Brisbane. Um, and I'd been looking for a job there for what felt like a really long time, but realistically, I think it'd probably been a few weeks and I was, you know, <laughs> I'm a pretty impatient person and, and, um, having a bit of a look around and nothing was really that interesting. You know, I couldn't really find anything that sort of, you know, I guess lit my fire, so to speak, is I was talking to my cousin one Sunday morning and she was just saying, you know, how's the job hunt going? I said, oh, well, you know pretty rubbish really it's pretty pretty boring and pickings I thought and um she said oh, I'll call my friend Lib and and see what see what she knows she works in Brizzy and Lib called me that afternoon and is this I, Libby Houghton Libby Houghton yeah and um at eight o'clock the next morning I had a job interview in on Eagle Street and uh, a couple of days later I um I had a job and started that was just before Christmas shutdown and I started started January so um what was that interview like 
Uh, yeah, it was pretty random. They were about half an hour late to it, actually. You were? <laughs> no, I was on time. <laughs> I was on time. But, uh, you know, um, I've been had it walked into a, into a building on Eagle Street for a long time. And I remember getting dressed for work that, you know, not for work, sorry, for my interview that morning. And, you know, I was saying to my sister, I was just like, you know, do you think I can wear these just pair of, like, casual pants and, and this top and, you know, like, I don't want to put a pencil skirt on and a pair of heels. Like, it's just not really me. And I had wet hair because I'd been for a run. And <laughs> I said, I'm not, I can't blow dry my hair because it's just too, too hot. And she said, oh, well, she said, if they don't like you like this, then it's not going to go very well. So I think you should probably just wear what you're comfortable in. And, um, yeah, so anyway, I, I met with, uh, who was then the general manager of the... Um, regional livestock exchange which is the fund I work in and um, I just I felt pretty comfortable actually when he walked in because he was wearing a pair of work jeans and a massive buckle which I think he must have won in some rodeo <laughs> and, uh, and I thought oh, okay well this is if this is the um, if this is the vibe then I, I might just have a chance of fitting in around here so anyway fast forward a bit over a year and um, you know things have things have certainly changed I've got a bit of a different role now um still working in the city get to work from home a lot now you know I guess COVID has certainly changed the way that uh that that we're all working now which has worked really well for me because you know I've you know walked out of the desert and and into a corporate city job and um it can be a bit overwhelming sometimes so the, the work from home thing for me has been really good and yeah no it's it's great so tell me, you know, adjusting to city life, how do you balance these two worlds, you know, city and country? You, you, you do go out west a fair bit and, you know, how do you find that happy medium? And tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, I think it's, it's certainly a challenge. I mean, I think the, the bush is so ingrained in me like it is for so many people. I think, you know, once you sort of grow up out there and have that experience of freedom and space and like solitude I suppose um you know it's it's something that really gets stuck in your blood and uh yeah I mean it's it's always a challenge I'm really lucky you know I've I've got family that still you know live in um in in rural and um, regional parts of of the country and my parents you know that they now live on the sunshine and gold coast uh sunshine coast and gold coast but uh, you know, so I get to get away and have a little bit of space. But yeah, look, it is it is certainly a challenge. And Katie, you do have your pilot's license and access to a plane, so you can just jump on the plane and go whenever you like. What what's that feel like? Yeah, I mean, I um, yeah, the the freedom that you feel when you're up in the air is just like there's nothing else like it. Um, I was flying back from Central Queensland on Tuesday, and there's just at about eight and a half thousand feet and uh you know it's just it's just beautiful um just skimming the top of the clouds and yeah no it's definitely been one of the best investments I've made in myself is learning to fly I can remember at 15 I, I've grown up in the back of a plane you know you, on um on Canaway we were always you know flying to Brisbane or dad was doing the mastering or the water runs and, and things like that like so many people out there do and it's always been something that I've loved, light aircraft. And I can remember at the age of about 15 or 16 saying to dad, you know, I want to learn how to fly. I want to learn how to fly. And he says, oh, well, you know, you can, you can borrow the plane, you know, and, and you know, you can spot the rest of it. So that'll give you a good head start. And 
oh, I don't have a purpose to learn how to fly. So, you know, every couple of years I go through this, I want to learn how to fly and the same deal keeps emerging. You know, I'll, I'll help you get started. But, you know, and I said, oh, I don't have a purpose. And I think I was about 25 maybe. And um, I mentioned it to dad again and, and I just said, yeah, but, you know, I don't have this purpose to learn how to fly, you know, like I, I work in a, in a bank. I don't need a pilot's license. And dad just said, oh, if you continue waiting for a purpose, like you're just going to be waiting a long time to get nothing done. Like just if you want to learn how to fly, learn how to fly. So um, I did and and it was the best thing I ever did. I, I, I learned how to wogga wogga. I did my first part of it down there and then went up to Inverell. Um, my work was really supportive at the time. They let me have, you know, a couple of um, good stints off. So I got to really just knock it out of the way. And it wasn't that much longer after that, I think, that I moved home uh, and I was living out at Canaway. And, um, you know, life would have been really tough all of a sudden without a, a pilot's license. And just remember thinking, you know, you, you wait sometimes so much for a purpose to appear so that you can go and do something. And I think that sometimes if you just take a step and you go and do what it is that you just want to do the purpose follows because you're attracting it and yeah it's, it's been amazing and I've still got access to a plane now which I'm really fortunate to have and uh you know I've I've got a few little interests getting around and um just so you all know Katie's interests that she's talking about are actually a mob of steers that she bought and was looking for adjustment for, which she shares a little bit more about during our conversation. So I was out in central Queensland um, doing a bit of cattle work on, on Monday and Tuesday this week. And, you know, if I need to slip out for a weekend to go and do a job or, or something like that, it's just makes it so much easier, you know, to balance my full-time job with some other interests that I have in agriculture when you've, when you've got a pilot's license. So for me, it's, it's made balancing my life possible and it's just also something that I love so yeah, yeah it's, it's great so you with some of the listeners may have already worked out you've got you know quite a lot of skills and done a lot already You're very talented and I'd say probably one of the most capable people I know what advice do you have for younger men and women considering a career in ag yeah look it's a difficult thing to answer, I think, because I haven't really still worked out what my place is yet. But I'm probably becoming okay in the last couple of years. I've done a little bit of soul searching, if you like, um, trying to figure out where it is that I want to go and what I want to do. And I think I'm actually starting to become okay with the fact that I don't know that yet. And you know, it's like I said before, you know, sometimes it's about figuring out what you don't want to do as much as it is about figuring out what you do want to do. Just try things, have a go. There are so many people in this industry that if you are having a go, they just want to see you succeed. Um, you know, I see it every day, like people will bend over backwards for you if they see that you're having a bit of a crack. So I, I think that's really all you can do. Um, you know, I was never one of those people at school that you know, always knew what I wanted to do or where I wanted to be. I can remember sitting down one day talking to mum saying, I don't know if I should go to uni or not or which degree I should study. And, you know, my decision-making process is is pretty arduous, I think, for people because I'm not a great decision-maker. But And I ended up literally choosing a degree that was 
three years long because it's the minimum degree that you know like you don't get a degree for less in less than three years so chose it based on that I thought well business you know it's pretty broad don't know what I want to do I'll go and do that uh and you know I don't know how I'm going to go sitting you know going to lectures and doing things like that so that was natural for me I just went well I'll go to Marcus Solden because you know it's ag related it's a business degree and they force you to sit down so it'll be it'll be great and it was great you know it was the best introduction back into to the learning lifestyle and you and know, at what, what point did you do that? So you left school and, you know, when did you go to Marcus? I had had two years out of school by the time, yeah, so in my third year out I went went down to Marcus and, and it was just brilliant because, you know, I was with a whole heap of people that were in the same situation that I was, you know. They they knew they had to do something. They're all bush kids and, um, you know, it was, it was a great, great place to go. And, yeah, so, I mean, I just, I guess my advice would be, like, don't, stress if you don't know which direction you're heading in um so i just think you know there's probably no straight lines in life you've sometimes just got to ride the wave and and i think by doing that you know your purpose if you think of it like that it'll will follow somehow yeah i hope it does anyway and so you did a stint up north as well can you tell us a little bit about that yeah it was fantastic so i left school in 2008 and um applied for a job with CPC and I can remember quite a few people knew um you know some of the people that probably could influence some decisions in terms of hiring back then and said oh you know like which place do you want to go to we'll have a chat and I said no don't be ridiculous I'm getting this job by myself and I don't need anyone's help and da 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 and anyway I think someone must have ended up having a quiet word to someone because I ended up going to Carlton Hill and um I was up there for a year and loved it and then the next year I went back and just sort of ended up poking around CPC a little bit so I went to uh, Kirkimby for a little bit and Argyle and then I was working at home a tiny bit when my dad was unwell and and then when um when my sister would come home to help a bit I might go out to Nokatunga for a little while and and give them a hand there so it was it was brilliant but um yeah it's it's funny it's like one of the biggest lessons that I learned in life actually so far was use your connections because (laughs) You know, sometimes it's not what you know, it's who you know. And, and if there is someone willing to put their hand out and give you a hand, then just just take it because you'll do the same thing for someone else one day. Yeah. And what did you love most about working at Carlton Hill? Like what was the most memorable part of that? Oh, I just love going out on stock camp. So, um, you know, they had a lot of export cattle going out of there. So you either got put in the like the export camp or the or the stock camp. And um, usually if you were in the export camp, you were based at the station, um, which wasn't really that fun because, you know, the manager was based at the station, so you could get away with a lot less. <laughs> and, uh, and, yeah, just going out on stock camp was just brilliant. We had a great group of people up there um, in that year. Um, still got really strong friendships from then um, still. And, yeah, it was just great. You know, you camp under the stars. And I always thought it was a bit of a stitch up that we were getting charged $10 a day for bed and board and I was sleeping in my own swag. But um, oh <laughs> it, was, it was great. I loved it. It was really good. Um, so would you say, have you had any mentors or any people to date that have been influential in, you know, your career decision-making or this process so far? Yeah, I always find the concept of having a mentor as like it's quite an interesting one because for me when someone asks me like who is your mentor I, I don't really have have one uh I think of a mentor more as like a bit of a specialist instead so I don't know if you're if you're buying a house go and speak to someone who's bought a house 
and sold a house a few times, you know, and just say, look, this is what I want to do. Can you help me? Can you give me some pointers? Uh, if you're looking at this for some help or support in a, you know, dealing with a, a conflict in a corporate environment, you know, there's probably not much point going and speaking to someone that's worked for themselves their whole lives, you know, in the middle of nowhere. Like go and speak to people that have got experience in the things that you want help with. Uh, and I've never found anyone has been unwilling to help. Everyone wants to be a part of your success um, and a part of your learning. And I guess if there's one person, I mean, like, I call on my dad quite a bit. Um, it's really has been a lifetime commitment having me. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I've got I've got great family. I've I've just got brilliant friends around me and. Yeah, any 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 people that are that you talk to about challenges that you're going through or dreams that you have, um, you know, the right people seem to emerge somewhere. Yeah. Katie, what would you say are some of the most important lessons or, or skills that you've acquired throughout your career career to date that are really valuable today? Um, I was driving around central Queensland last year looking for a paddock and I was just struggling and um, I called my good friend up and I just was like at my wits end I just said I just don't know what I'm going to do and um, she said oh don't worry she said you're going to go up 100 dry gullies before you get to a good one <laughs> I thought 100 like far out I've only knocked on 20 doors I've got a lot more to go <laughs> but you know it's so true you know you just just persist and yeah keep keep having a crack I think so persistence is is something that you yeah I think so um like when I lived at it Canaway you know we were going through a century drought and my dad was in Brizzy and he was pretty unwell and I can remember I was pulling scrub one day and the bulldozer broke down I just thought I don't know what's wrong with this thing I mean I'm hopeless mechanic <laughs> and, um, I was lying underneath it and I just thought oh doing something's better than doing nothing so I just started pulling it apart and the belly plates are coming off and everything and I was, it was about an hour back to the house so I'd go I went back and I went and got the manual and did a bit of googling and called dad was in hospital and was like you know probably sobbing on the phone asking what was wrong and um, anyway went back out and you know I just remember like lying under this bulldozer with the manual like sort of to my side so I had enough space to read it and I'm um, thinking a bit of internet connectivity would be quite nice right now and um you know anyway we ended up figuring out like I would go out there and I would take pictures of certain things and I'd go back to the house and dad was in hospital and he was learned like he's not very good on his phone but he learned how to mark like edit pictures so he was like circling certain things on the dozer and then I would send him pictures of the manual and he'd say well you know this the yellow circle and the yellow circle on both images equal this or whatever it was and you know I think just general problem solving and and um at the end of the day when you solve it you're like oh I'm, I'm actually quite capable of doing this. Absolutely. And I'm just picturing that. That's um, a lot of work. <laughs> that. Um, going back to, you mentioned problem solving. It's obviously been, it's always been a necessity in your line of work, whether it be on farm or, you know, in the boardroom, you know, working with large agribusiness companies. It's also something you're very good at. You're going to hate me saying that, but you are. Um, when you think about the challenges the industry faces today, 
and in particular for young people listening, what do you think will be the key or you know part of the solution to ongoing prosperity for the industry? Yeah, that's that's a really good question. I think you know it's hard not to talk about it um, given what is happening in the political climate is that the gender imbalance in agriculture and not just in agriculture I know that this is this is not just a this is not just a, a woman's battle this is for men that work in certain industries as well that are not traditionally um, jobs that are worked in by men so this isn't this isn't by any means I don't think just an, an issue that women are facing uh, but it is something that I deal with uh, frequently um, and yeah I mean <laughs> it is really tough i know women are definitely if you go and look at roles that are filled like on an operational ground level role i think in our business you know there's well over 50 percent of women uh, are in these roles so it's fantastic to see that what the industry as a whole lacks is women i think in management positions and, and i don't i don't know why it's it's like that because i work with a lot of very talented women very driven women um and it, it is really interesting to see that. So I think it's, uh, you know, changing paradigms and, you know, we've all got to, I think, take our blinkers off a little bit and, and realise that there is a, an issue there and, and work together collectively to try and solve that. Yeah. So for some that may not know, Katie was actually the face of Revlon's Bold Matters Drought Angels campaign in 2018 designed to raise awareness about Outback Australia's devastating drought with a focus on important matters relevant to Australian women. It was an incredibly powerful campaign championing rural women. Katie, tell us what did it mean to you being part of this and helping raise awareness and record funds, might I add, um, about really important issues. Talk us through this. Yeah, so it was a bit interesting actually how that came to be, to be honest. I had, um, so the photographer who shot the campaign was out in Quilpie and... Edwina um, Robertson. Edwina Robertson, yes. And um, so I know Edwina from, I guess she was my sister's year through school and, you know, see her at weddings and stuff like that. And and um, she was shooting a wedding out in Quilpie and um, she got approached by Revlon and they just said, oh, you know, we like the photos you take. This is what we want to do. We're based out of Sydney. We've been west. We haven't been west of Barrel before. Um, basically, what we want is women and we want lots of red dirt and a lot of blue skies. <laughs> and um, do you know anywhere that we could get that? And I'd run into Edwina and, and she said, yeah, actually, I've you know, probably do know somewhere where you get those three things. And so Edwina asked me if I'd be interested in doing it. And I said, oh, no, not not really. <laughs> um, anyway, she twisted my arm and it was actually really, it was a really positive experience. So they came out the next week. It all happened really quickly. Just remember, there was like five carloads of people turned up. There's 10 people. I mean, they had cameramen, I had makeup artists and, you know, hair and um, sound guys and, and everything. And um, anyway, they did my makeup and then they just said, oh, we'll just be a couple of hours while we set things up or an hour or whatever it was. And I said, oh, would you mind if I just go and do a few jobs? And they said, yeah, no, that's that's fine. Off you go. And so I went outside and I was suddenly filling a truck up or something like that. And I came back in and said, right, oh, we're ready to go. And I didn't realise, but I just had like a diesel mark all over my face and 
they were like, okay, well, we're a bit pushed for time, but we'll redo your makeup. That's fine. <laughs> but yeah, no, look, it was, it was really positive. And, um, you know, they, they, it was nice to have something at the time. I just remember there was so much media, uh, focused around the devastation of the drought and, I had told them before they came out that if I was going to be a part of this, I didn't want it to be a negative. Uh, and they were really good about it, you know. They, um, you know, we had to do a few, a few um, retakes. <laughs> they were like, look down and look up and look sad, but smile with your eyes. I was just like, what, what is that? <laughs> I don't know how to do that. Um, so yeah, look, it was it was a really interesting day and. They were, yeah, they were just so kind and anyway, look, it, it worked out really well for them and it worked out really well for the industry. I think they donated over 150 grand uh, to Drought Angels uh, and um, yeah, I mean, it was, yeah, it was pretty cool. So in terms of the, you know, messaging at the time, what, what was important to you to get across when they interviewed you and, you know, the type of things that you spoke about? I just at the time there was just so much media going around about you know these producers that were you know having to shoot all their livestock or just letting them die in the paddock and and I mean I'm I'm sure that has happened for a lot of people and 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 it was, it was just it was a fucking awful time for everyone going through that drought and um you know there are so many people that are still going through it but I think that the media really likes to focus on the really negative side of everything and there were so many people out there that were just busting themselves, keeping everything ticking along. And the most amazing part about it is just these communities, how they all just band together. And, you know, it was as tough as it all was, you know, like people are out there because people work in agriculture because they love it. Uh, you know, you've got to love what you do. And, you know, I just, I really wanted that to come across that we're not, you know, poor me farmers, we are, we're running really good, we're running good businesses out here. Um, and, you know, we're having a bit of a tough time, but like any industry, we go through tough times. And, and I just, yeah, I just didn't want it to be that, uh, what I, I think of is, is can be a little bit of a sob story sometimes. Well, I, yeah, I remember looking at the billboard campaigns and seeing the photos and videos of you and just feeling so proud and inspired because of the strength of women in rural communities and especially you being, you know, so young and just killing it out there on your own at the time. Like, I can't imagine what that would have been like. Oh, thanks, Sam. Um, yeah, I think, I think that's it. You know, there's just, there's so many amazing people in the bush. I mean, you're from the land yourself. Um, you know, you've, you've been through this with your family as well and your own ups and downs. And I think what it makes you realize is that, you know, we just, we work in a really great industry. Um, and it's, it's just great to be a part of, you know, there's no other industry. I don't think where you get the satisfaction, not that I've worked in, but you know, not that you get the, it's the satisfaction that you get out of this, that you're really contributing and you know the, the people are fantastic and you know if you're living out west or if you work in the city or whatever it is it's it doesn't really matter because we're all sort of a part of this bigger picture and yeah it's it's just great I love I love being in the industry yeah so touching on you know regional Australia um right now 
you know, since COVID, it is experiencing this economic revival, which is really exciting. Um, and ag itself is going through an incredible state of growth with record enrolments in ag degrees and, you know, farm gate value expected to reach 100 billion by 2030. It's definitely one of the most exciting industries, as you've just said, and I also um, am very, you know, love working in the industry, obviously, and to be part of that right now, what would you say you're most excited about for the next five years and how this industry is evolving? You just rattled off a lot of statistics that I wasn't even aware of. Um, Yeah, I think uh, COVID has been such an interesting thing for our industry because when it happened, you know, I was living in Brisbane at the time, still am, and um, people in the city, they were rushing around and, like, they were buying seeds, you know. They were going to become self-sufficient in the middle of the city. I don't know how many dead planter boxes there are now and, like, poor pets that haven't been walked in a long time because that was another thing that happened. But I feel since COVID, people have got really well informed You know, I remember there was a dust storm uh, at the start of 2019 when I was at home and it was just, it was 10,000 foot high, just this massive wall of red dirt coming towards our house. This is out at Quilpie. Out at Quilpie. And, um, you know, there's nothing you can do. You just go and shut all the doors and turn the aircon on full ball and hope that, you know, it keeps the dust out of the house as much as possible and turn the news on that night and... The cities are up in arms because this dust storm has been caused by, you know, people that live on the land. How dare we? And uh, I, I feel like there's a lot of this misinformation and poorly directed um, or misdirected, I should say, um, accusations at, at people. And I feel like COVID has definitely uh, educated people. Um, before, I think we were probably not doing as an industry, probably not doing the best or the most that we could have been doing in terms of educating people in the city about the supply chain. And, and, and I feel people now, people in the city are leading that education themselves. So there's a huge opportunity for us in, in ag um, from all levels of the supply chain to get in front of those people and to continue that ball rolling. Because I think it's COVID is definitely, uh, if there's a positive to come out of it, it's, it's definitely positioned agriculture uh, in a much more positive light as it, as it should be. Yeah, definitely. Because people really value their food, I would say, much more now because there's that threat of not having fresh food supplied during COVID. And Yeah, there was this campaign that was just so brilliant that came out um, during COVID. And it, I think from memory, there's this guy standing in a wheat crop and he's saying, you know, this many hectares can produce this many bags of flour, this many slabs of beer, you know, that's enough for this whole state or the whole country or whatever it was. And it was just so clever saying, you know, like agriculture has got you back in Australia. We're, we're very good at what we do. We've got a huge um, ability to produce a lot of, of, of food and, and, and fibre. And, yeah, it was, it was a really interesting campaign. And I think we've just got to keep that going. Yeah, very empowering. Katie, what are you reading or listening to right now? Something that really interests me is food and health and what impact that has on mental health um so yeah i mean i am reading a little bit about ayurvedics um and a lot about yoga i love i love yoga 
Um, so reading a little bit about that. And you've done some training in yoga as well. I have, yeah. It was like at the end of when we were leaving out uh, at and I sort of had a bit of a gap in, you know, places that I needed to be and um, I ended up going to Bali and by some strange thing I did a 200-hour yoga teaching course. What was that like? <laughs> um, uh yeah, it was great. I mean, I loved it. Um, I'd never been to a yoga class before. Um, <laughs> they were like, you know, you should have done, you know, should be practicing at least two hours every day. And I was like, I've practiced two hours in the last month. Um, but yeah, I was like, I was reasonably fit. So I wasn't too concerned about that. But uh, I think I was the only person. The interesting thing was, is I actually, I caught a, um, a, a plane. I was, took about 200 dairy cows from Sydney to Kuala Lumpur. Um, on my way to Bali. So uh, a friend of mine called up and said, oh, look, I just need someone to do this job. You know, you've done a bit of export work. Would you mind going with them? And I said, yeah, no, that's fine. I'm going to Bali afterwards. So he said, yeah, that's that's all good. I'll, I'll pay for your flights. And so I think I'm the only person, they, they said, that has turned up to a 200-hour t- yoga teacher training on a live export plane. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> Katie, what do you believe are some of the most underrated qualities when it comes to career and young people specifically? Yeah, um, I think dedication and determination for me are probably uh, two, two really important things. Um, I was listening to a speech the other day by Tim Minchin. He did like a um, graduation. He was a guest of honour there and he says, you know, it's really important to be micro ambitious, you know, nice to have a big dream, but also don't forget about, you know, working in pursuit of things that are right in front of you, you know, be dedicated to short term goals as well. And I think that that people can't, you shouldn't get too tied up in, you know, what's at the end of end of the road, because you know, you've got to you've got to get there somehow. And uh, so I think definitely for me, it's, uh, you know, whatever you're working on right now, do it once, do it well. And I think that's yeah a good a good quality to have. Yeah. And what would you say to your younger self? Um say in school or even younger like some advice that you wish you'd had or just advice. Oh, just chill out. <laughs> yeah, I mean I'm I'm pretty prone to getting quite stressed. I get quite a bit of anxiety and and more often than not it's just over nothing you know it's like you've got a saber-toothed tiger chasing you <laughs> like you don't you know you just just chill out you don't have to know what you want to do or where you're going and and uh you know it's it's still a little bit daunting you know when you talk to some people and they seem to have this five-year plan and 10-year plan and I mean that's great good on you but not everyone has that um so just if you don't have that just chill out enjoy it see where it takes you and yeah, enjoy the ride. Katie, there's some really good advice there and had an awesome conversation with you, learning so much about what you've done and, you know, what's inspired you. And I think um, I certainly can take a lot from this. <laughs> and it's been so good to have you and thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much, Sam. It's nice to speak to you too. If you enjoyed this podcast, check out The Business of Farming, a series of recordings from the Young Farmer Business Program Conference featuring some of the best minds in business and primary production. Thank you.